Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Peppis, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Robert Goldberg, vice president and Robert and Leona de Armand, executive director of the Phil and Penny Knight Campus for Accelerating Scientific Impact at the University of Oregon. Prior to joining the Knight Campus in August 2018, Goldberg was at Georgia Tech, where he served as executive director of the Parker H. Pettit Institute for Bioengineering and Bioscience, and was a professor at the George W. Woodruff School of Mechanical Engineering and the School of Biomedical Engineering. Goldberg's work in regenerative medicine has led to his collaboration with medical scientists at the Center for Regenerative Medicine at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. First, tell us about your background. How did you wind up becoming a bioengineer? Yeah, a little, a little bit of chance. I was, I was at the University of Michigan studying mechanical engineering, trying to decide whether to go to med school, and ended up in an orthopedic research lab uh, just sort of exploring things and kind of fell in love with science at that point. Continued on in grad school. Uh, bioengineering as a field didn't exist back then, so mm -hmm. I continued on mechanical engineering, but was applying it in the medical field and uh, ended up getting my PhD there. Moved on to a postdoc in molecular biology and, and that sort of led to my career path. So tell us about uh, regenerative medicine, what is that? Yeah, regenerative medicine is something that was really just launching as I was a graduate student. And it was, uh, what really appealed to me was it was something where we could take our, our interests in engineering and biology and combine them into something that could benefit patients. And the idea basically is in our aging population and, and even in pediatric patients, putting in implants that are going to have a limited lifetime is an imperfect solution. It would be much better if we had biological solutions that would integrate and adapt with our bodies. And, that, and that's the idea using biomaterials that resorb over time, using cells, using biologic factors that we learn from biology as cues to regenerate tissues like bone and cartilage and muscle. So you're talking about things that start on the molecular level, but ultimately the goal is to impact the lives of patients. Right. So talk a little right. bit about that scaling up process. Yeah, that that's, that's a great question. So I'll, you know, I'll take biomaterials for example. You know, a piece of plastic, as you can imagine, is pretty inert. It doesn't do a lot. But by understanding the biology at the molecular level, we can engineer the surface of that material to interact with the body in very specific ways and actually encourage integration or encourage a particular type of tissue to form or encourage a particular immune response. And by understanding that molecular level, that leads to a response that at the functional level may allow a patient to return to walking around without pain, uh, or to uh, have the function of a tissue or joint that they wouldn't normally have had. Hmm. Fascinating. So tell us about some of the innovations that you've patented over, over the years. Yeah, I've patented a range of things. Uh, some of the things that we've patented are sort of the development of the tissues, something called bioreactors. So uh, we, we basically, it's a device where you can grow a tissue outside the body that you can either use as a model to understand what's happening in the patient, or potentially even to grow and manufacture a tissue that would be implanted into a patient. Uh, so we've, we've patented bioreactors. We've also patented certain innovative biomaterials that integrate better with the body. One example of that from last year was a material that's being used to fuse spines in the back. So uh, patients, some, mostly older patients, but also pediatric patients sometimes that have diseases, have degenerative back diseases mm -hmm. where they have incredible pain you know, in that soft tissue that's in between the vertebra. And we'd love to be able to have actually a regenerative medicine solution where you regrew that mm -hmm. intervertebral disc. We're not there yet, and so what doctors tend to do is to fuse the two adjacent vertebra 
which relieves the pain for the patient. And the technologies for that are imperfect. They fail, you know, roughly 20% of the time. Mm -hmm. and what we developed was a new material that has, it, it basically grows a porous interface into the surface of the material. And because of that, the blood wicks in and the bone grows in very, very quickly. We were able to commercialize that and clear two products through the FDA and then that was purchased by a large medical device manufacturer last year. Hmm, that's fascinating. Um, so you've, you've come to the University of Oregon in, uh, this summer, uh, uh, the end of the summer. August. Mm -hmm. um, is your lab up and running? And if it is, uh, where is it? I don't yeah. even know where it is yeah, on the campus. It, well, it's, so it's not in the hole and ground over on <laughs> yes, Franklin I know. Boulevard. <laughs> the Mike campus is not there yet. So. Right, so we renovated space in Pacific Hall. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really uh, thankful that we were able to do that. I uh, had a fairly large lab at Georgia Tech, and so some of those students have graduated, some of them are still at Georgia Tech, so I'm still running a lab there mm -hmm. uh, while starting a lab here. So we're in Pacific Hall on the second floor, and we'll be there until the Knight Campus building opens in, in early 2020. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Knight Campus. Um, first, what are some of the uh, facilities that are being imagined for the campus? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'm just incredibly grateful because although I'm coming in at the beginning of this project, it's not starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. There was, um, you know, the incredible faculty leadership, incredible administrative leadership that have gotten this project off the ground, have designed an absolutely spectacular building. Um, and they didn't do it uh, just designing it here. They actually went around the country, visited places, including uh, my institute at Georgia Tech, and looked at how different people had done this, took the best of all of those, and designed uh, really a forward-looking building for the University of Oregon. So it's, it, you know, some of the features are it's got very open lab space, so that the faculty there won't have closed-off labs where they're not, you know, directly interfacing with, with other laboratories. Um, there's a lot of space for people to get together and, and work together in spaces, including students. A lot of the office space is designed so the students and the faculty will be right next to each other and be able to work side by side, as well as with companies that come in. I'm very excited about the innovation space. So there's mm -hmm. going to be um, a space where startup companies can come in. They'll have a war room where they can go in and you know private and do planning, but then also open space for people to come in, including faculty who have other jobs, but uh, can come in with their students or, or um, others in the company work for a few hours there and, and then go back to their, their regular jobs. And there'll be business operations right there because you know part of the problem with getting companies off the ground is figuring out the business side of that. Mm -hmm. And so there'll be support for that right in the building. Are there collaborations with the RAIN, the incubator uh, the, that the University of Oregon is involved with? I certainly anticipate that there will be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, all those things are, it's early days, all those things are still to come. Mm -hmm. So you've already sort of started to answer my next question, but let me ask it more directly. What attracted you to this position? Why did you want to come? Yeah, it was a great question. So I, I, you know, I ran something at Georgia Tech, an institute that, uh, in some ways, is where we want to go. Um, and so you might say, well, why, you know, why did I come here to sort of restart that? Mm -hmm. And part of the answer for that is that when I took over the institute at Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. it was about a dozen, about twelve years into its beginning. And I took it and basically tripled it in size. And then by the end, it was six buildings and it was an incredibly dynamic place. Uh, there were 19 research centers built into the institute, 240 faculty that belonged to the institute. But I didn't start it. I basically took it over. I wasn't the founder of it. I didn't have the opportunity to set the vision from the very beginning. And, that, and that's the opportunity here. Um, so that's what I was really excited about. 
I'm also very excited that you know I came from a technological university, one of the best in the world. Georgia Tech is top 10 in engineering in every class of engineering. Um, but they don't have some things as well. They don't have humanities. Uh, they don't have a law school. Uh, so some of those elements I, I was really excited about because I do think as we think about training the next generation of scientists, we want to make them more well-rounded. Mm -hmm. Part of that is understanding early on the business aspects. We know that doing technology and then thinking about how to translate it later doesn't work. It's also not a good idea to do the technology and not think about the ethical considerations and so forth as you're going along. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity to create something where there's an integration of all those things as we train the next generation of scientists was very exciting to me. Can I ask you a couple of follow-ups about that? Sure. So uh, the first one is, you know, do you have a sense of the kind of industries and corporations that might be interested in collaborating with an iCampus? Yeah, I, I think in, you know any of the companies in the biotechnology space, uh, we're very interested in looking at the interface between uh, the molecular and the biology and the engineering, but also starting to get in, into the data informatics part of this. Mm -hmm. um, as I think about the field, there are many, I call them language barriers that we've overcome. Mm -hmm. Engineers have learned how to talk to scientists. Both have learned how to talk to clinicians who really drive the needs for this. The next language barrier we need to overcome really is with the data informatics people. Mm -hmm. And it's a challenging one, uh, both because, as oftentimes happens, they speak different languages, mm -hmm. but also because we're, we're in an era where everybody has recognized the need for this, and we're effectively you know, competing for talent with the Googles and the Microsofts and every other university across the world. Mm -hmm. and so. That's, that's an area where I'm really thankful that we have both the data science initiative and the Knight Campus. Mm -hmm. They are separate, but they're, all, they're going to overlap and work together. And uh, we're also probably going to do some things with Oregon Health Sciences University as a way of creating something that's unique that will attract that talent. Tell us a little bit about the collaborations that have already started to happen between uh, U of O and OHSU. Yeah, so the first visit after I committed to this position, which was last October, a year ago October, um, was to Portland, was to meet with people at Oregon Health Sciences University. And in part, that's because I, I have several friends there, I, mm -hmm. I knew people there. In part, it was because I knew that relationship would be critical to what we're doing here. One of the things we don't have, of course, is a medical school. Mm -hmm. I'm a biomedical engineer. I can anticipate starting engineering at the University of Oregon for the first time, but I can't start a medical school. Mm -hmm. And so uh, having that relationship was very important. Um, I very quickly uh, developed an adjunct uh, re uh, relationship there. I have an adjunct appointment, both in their Center for Regenerative Medicine as well as in their Biomedical Engineering Department. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, they have the Knight Cancer Institute. And so there's some obvious and, and appropriate inter interactions that will happen between the Knight Cancer Institute and uh, the Knight Campus. And data science is probably going to be one of those areas. Mm -hmm. We just spent the day uh, up in Portland last week talking about that. Uh, Brian Drucker, the head of the uh, Knight Cancer Institute, um, uh, was there for the whole day. I was there for the whole day. And we've realized that working together is probably the best way for us to move forward with that. We're also anticipating and, and talking about doing some joint edu educational programs. And so uh, one of the things I think there's great potential for is a joint graduate program mm. between OHSU, uh, University of Oregon, potentially even Oregon State University. Uh, with the idea being that working together, we can create a stronger partnership and, and compete nationally um, uh, with all the other universities that are already doing this. It's a very popular degree among students. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, um, I found at Georgia Tech, which also doesn't have a medical school, the partnership with Emory University created something that was very attractive to bring in great students. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about your vision for the experience and the participation of students in the Knight Campus, undergrads, grads. Yes, we've already launched a, a pilot program uh, for undergraduate research. Um, this is something we just, just announced and we'll be getting off the ground in January. The idea there is to involve undergraduates not just in the summer rotational program, which is, is fairly common, mm -hmm. uh, but something that would be a full year-long experience. Um, this is, it'll be a competitive program, so it'll be based on the merits of the undergraduate students. Um, they will be linked with a graduate student or a postdoc for mentorship training. Mm -hmm. That's also giving the graduate students training, which is very important. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also found, this is a program I've run before, I've also found it works very well for the faculty because they get good graduate students and they're committed to enough time that they actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell the, the undergraduates that come into that that um, I fully expect them to earn their way onto a paper for authorship. Mm -hmm. This is not they're going to be handed a protocol and, and done it. So that's, that's one area where we'll, we'll uh, certainly have an impact. I'm very passionate about that because that's how I got my start in the field. And, um, and, and, and so we'll be providing undergraduate research opportunities. I also think there'll be some graduate programs and undergraduate programs that come out of the Knight Campus that will be more on the applied side, applied mm -hmm. science and engineering, uh, but those are still in the works. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us an update about the construction? How's, how's the project sure. going? Yeah, the good news is it's on, it's on track. <laughs> <laughs> not so, always the case. Not always the case. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, the good thing about a good economy is that, you know, it's, uh, people are doing well. The bad thing is it's really hard to get contractors, you yep. know, to come in and get bids uh, uh, in place. So I'm, I'm really thankful for the group at Georgia Tech that uh, has been, or Georgia Tech at University of Oregon that has been helping us with this. Uh, and uh, we're on track for opening the building in early 2020. And so uh, I think everything looks great. You can see I'm actually in the office building right next to the, the hole in the ground. So I can see the elevator shafts going up. Uh, there's a lot of rebar in there. If, <laughs> if we ever do get the earthquake, I'm, everyone's going to want to be in that building, I think. It's going to be a very stable building. Yes, and there's a, there's a uh, webcam. You can actually watch the construction happening. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about the, um, the boards that are involved with the Knight Campus. There's the, the faculty board. Is there an external board? What's the concept there? Yeah, there's an internal advisory board that was formed before I even arrived uh, that has representation from across the university. And that group ha is basically the de facto faculty of the Knight campus until we, we recruit in faculty. Uh, so they've been instrumental in setting up some of the governance uh, uh, policies um, and, uh, and, and, and some of the other programs that are in place now. Uh, there also is an external advisory board. So I, I did two things in the spring before I even arrived here. I formed an external advisory board, uh, which is made up of um, experts from around the country. I focused, honestly, primarily on entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and people who had uh, started or run um, interdisciplinary educational programs like we anticipate for the Knight Campus. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have some absolutely terrific people. I was really happy with the experts we were able to assemble. We've already had that first meeting. That happened this fall. Um, and then also in the spring, I started a strategic planning process. And the idea behind that was really that I didn't want to come in and say, okay, I do regenerative medicine, so that's what the campus is going to do. Uh, we really wanted to gather input from the community, uh, both in the University of Oregon uh, community primarily, but also our statewide partners, mm -hmm. and try to understand 
how do we synergize with the strengths that are here to sort of complete that innovation cycle? And, and the idea is, obviously, the University of Oregon's known for outstanding science, humanities, law school, business school, but how do we add in the, the tool builders, the engineers, the applied scientists that really help to complete that cycle? Mm -hmm. So um, you've, you've already started to mention that there are going to be faculty. I think you're doing the first round of hiring for faculty in the Knight Campus. Tell us yeah. about those positions. What kind of uh, scholars and, and uh, scientists will they be? Yeah, we have two faculty searches going on right now. Uh, the one that's furthest ahead is what we call an open rank search, which means that um, any, any of any seniority can apply to mm -hmm. that position. Um, we also listed about four or five different areas because the strategic planning process is not complete. Mm -hmm. And so we picked some areas of, of obvious you know, uh, interest, but, but didn't want to you know, focus down too, too narrowly. Uh, so that was a challenge for the search committee because mm -hmm. they had review applications from a wide range of backgrounds. Um, really happy that we got 240 applications for those positions and uh, we're down to five finalists and I'm very excited about the finalists we have. We'll probably make, uh, I would guess, two hires out of that search. Hmm. And then the second search is in the neuroengineering space and that is for a senior person um, and that came about uh, because there was a donor that came in um, that was very interested in the neurosciences as well as the Knight Campus. And we sort of combined those two and said, well, let's hire a senior neuroengineer, which is, uh, you've probably heard of the brain mapping initiative, for mm -hmm. example, the people that are coming up with the technologies to map the functions of the brain, that would be a good example. Mm -hmm. People that are doing br human brain interfaces, uh, that would be another example of sort of a neuroengineer. Um, and that sort of person will really very nicely link the Knight Campus with the existing strengths on campus in neuroscience. So let's talk a little bit about that part of it. Tell us a little more about how you're understanding the links that will exist between the Knight Campus and other parts of the university, other disciplines in the university. Yeah, it's still, it's still developing. Uh, you know, obviously with the sciences, there's clear links. Um, there, there will be, you know, faculty in, this, in the science departments that will want to affiliate with the Knight Campus that are maybe a little more on the applied side, mm -hmm. or perhaps not. They may be doing fundamental science, but they want to collaborate with someone that's more on the applied side. Uh, and that's certainly uh, great as well. So there'll be programs that sort of facilitate those. I, I sort of think about um, a lot about you know, chemical reactions being the collision of molecules. Mm -hmm. I think the Knight Campus will help to provide collisions of people uh, and then to catalyze those collisions and, and so that we get a product that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys have a sense of the kind of economic impact the Knight Campus might have on the state of Oregon's economy? Yeah, I think those are, those are difficult projections to have, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I've always been, in, through my whole career, I've always worked with companies, and so we will um, be putting in place programs that will facilitate companies to come in and work with the University of Oregon. I, I, in a sense, I think of the Knight Campus as being a portal that the companies will be able to interface with easily um, and uh, connect them with the expertise on campus. That's not something the university has done a whole lot of mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important for a few reasons. Um, one is as federal support and state support for science goes down or mm -hmm. stays flat, mm -hmm. um, the places that work well with companies are going to be the ones that thrive. I think there's a little bit of a misconception that there's not good science going on in industry. That's actually not true. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're actually better resourced than, than we are in academia. 
Um, and so I think that's important. It also creates opportunities for our students for jobs, mm -hmm. and, and that's something we need to be really uh, cognizant of, is creating those relationships that allow the students to move into positions. And, and frankly, a lot of times, if you talk to the companies, that's why they want to work with universities. Uh, us faculty think that it's because of us, but it's really the students that they want access to because they're looking for great talent. Mm -hmm. It also brings some challenges. You have to, you have to think about you know, conflict of interest issues and, and making sure that the companies are not driving the academic agenda. And, and so those are things that I have a lot of experience with and I'll be helping the University of Oregon deal with. I know that occasionally when uh, applied scientists create an amazing patent or start a new company that sometimes takes them out of the academy. You know, I'm aware of some scientists who were once here who are now running businesses. Yep. Is this a concern that the kind of real success in this kind of collaboration is gonna lead to a kind of um, depletion of our faculty? Is that a worry? I mean, for people that do the kind of work you do, is that a phenomenon yeah. that happens or am I making that up? It, it happens. It doesn't happen very often mm -hmm. uh, for a few reasons. One is that faculty have gone into academia for a reason. And you know, they, they you know, generally enjoy that environment. They didn't go into industry. If they'd really wanted high salaries and so forth, they would have gone into industry to start with. So a lot of times faculty are not interested in that. Uh, another factor is that faculty generally are not great business people. Yes, um, I'm I, aware. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I have direct experience with that. My first company I started many years ago, I think 25 years ago, uh, myself and two of my colleagues tried to run it ourselves. And uh, we did okay. You know, it didn't fail miserably, but we missed all kinds of business opportunities because we weren't business people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, my strategy that I really like now is I, I, I like to have the students coming up have um, opportunities to learn about entrepreneurship and the business side as they're doing the science. I'm actually leaving tomorrow to go up to Vancouver for something called the Creative Destruction Lab, which is all about that. It's bringing together students from the business school, law school, um, and sciences to work together on business plans and, and, and bring in the, the, the uh, uh, judgment, the entrepreneurial judgment to help mentor them through this. So I think the best model really is to look to the students. Mm -hmm. And for the students that have that uh, inclination and are good at it, a lot of times they can go off and do the business and the faculty can ser serve as, as a, a, an advisor and play a minor role. Mm -hmm. That's what I've done since that first sort of failed experiment mm -hmm. um, and it's worked quite well. So you've just talked about uh, potential collaborations with law school, business school. Yeah. I'm the director of the Oregon Humanities Center, so I'm particularly interested in the question of will there be collaborations? Can you imagine collaborations with the humanities? Will there be? Can you imagine any? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, it's, as I said earlier, I think that's, that's one of the reasons I came here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, very interested in that, and I think there's lots of different areas for uh, partnerships. You know, certainly the arts and science is, is an important area. Um, we will have an artist in residence program in the Knight campus, um, and that's something I actually had back at Georgia Tech as well, where we had art and science throughout the building. Um, I think communication and ethics are two, you know, very important areas that um, will, are obvious areas of collaboration. Uh, just in areas like artificial intelligence and gene editing and even regenerative medicine and mm -hmm. stem cells and so forth, the ethical considerations are quite real. And so having our students, at even you know, at the educational stage, certainly having them cognizant of those issues early on in the process of doing their science is really important. So uh, this week is a startup week at the University of Oregon. Yep. I know that the Knight Campus is participating in Startup Week. Can you say something about that participation? 
Yeah, our role is we're going to do an innovation panel uh, where uh, four of us, including myself, will uh, be at the front of the room and, and, and talking about our startup experiences and lessons learned, pitfalls to avoid, how do you manage conflict of interest, uh, how do you get through the valley of death. Um, the valley of death? Valley of death, What yeah. is the valley of death? Valley of death. So the valley of death is, uh, you know, there's so much innovation going on mm -hmm. in academia. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and then you, you look at companies that have been successful, and this bridge between those two points is called the valley of death. Hmm. And it's, it's the point at which there's maybe a proof of concept in a laboratory for something that could be useful, mm -hmm. but there's so many issues that haven't been worked out. You know, how do you finance that? How do you scale it up? Uh, how, do you, you know, how do you get it through regulatory bodies? How do you deal with, in our field, reimbursement issues? I've seen many uh, medical technologies that work quite well but they don't fit into the economics of our medical care system. And mm -hmm. so they don't mm -hmm. get reimbursed and therefore that bridge is not gonna happen. And so that, that, there's a lot of things that die in that valley of death. And, uh, and so you have to come up with mechanisms to help faculty through that uh, and in order to see the innovations actually impact patients. I assume from that title that most of the companies that come through do not survive the valley of death. That's correct. Do That's you know what the percentage is? I'm just curious. I don't know, um, you know, exact percentage. Um, it's the majority, though. It's it's the majority, particularly early on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, th there's a there's a thesis that you know there's a lot of innovation going on in the world, and the and the reason you see so much of it succeed in focused areas like the Bay Area and in mm -hmm. Boston mm -hmm. is because there are people in those areas that have experience doing it before, mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons I think it's really important that we give our students entrepreneurial experiences. Are they likely to be successful? Maybe not the first time, mm -hmm. but they'll learn something, and so maybe their second time or third time or fourth time, it will be successful. So, you know, one of the, you've already talked about a number of things, but we have never at the University of Oregon really had a lot of uh, industry and, and corporate partnerships. So tell us about what the university broadly is doing to sort of address that longstanding gap. Well, again, I think it's bringing in people that have done this before. Yeah. And so someone like myself and some of the faculty that we bring in will have had interactions with industry before. Uh, part of it is bringing in people on our advisory boards that um, are from companies and can help to facilitate those, those sorts of collaborations. Um, part of it is recognizing some of the funding opportunities. A lot of our federal funding opportunities now actually are private-public partnerships, mm -hmm. the big ones. And so you have to have commitments from industry and, and ex expressed interest from industry before the federal government will make their uh, investment. And so the, you know, that's one of the drivers as well. And so we'll be creating, as I said, the Night Campus can be a portal uh, where we'll basically be communicating. Uh, we've hired some people in our advancement office that have some experience with working with companies. And so I think all those things will change over time. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural change. It's mm -hmm. gonna take yep. some time. It's not gonna be immediate. Um, but I saw this at Georgia Tech as well. When I went there 23 years ago, there were very few faculty that were doing startups. There wasn't a lot of industry uh, interactions. And now Georgia Tech has this situation where they have companies coming and setting up innovation centers around the periphery of the university so that they can have access to the technologies and the faculty and the students within the university. I do think, I don't necessarily see that Eugene's gonna become Atlanta. I actually hope it doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I do think Eugene has a lot of potential. You know, it's in this uh, innovation corridor. It's, you, you've, got the, uh, you've got Seattle and Portland and San Francisco. 
uh, where companies are going, but they, their employees can't really afford to live. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do think there's a lot of potential for at least smart growth in, in the Eugene area and having some companies here that want to work with the university. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about the Knight Campus. It's been a real pleasure. Good luck with the whole project. It seems daunting and massive to me, but uh, you've given us good confidence that you will succeed. Great. Thank, thank you, Paul. You're very welcome. I've been speaking with Robert Gulberg, Vice President, and Robert and Leona D. Armand, Executive Director of the Phil and Penny Knight Campus for Accelerating Scientific Impact at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much for watching.